I had uh, a dinner date with a friend uh, and she was sharing with me that she was recently diagnosed with ADHD. And when she was describing her sort of experience of having ADHD, particularly around difficulties she had with reading, all the light bulbs were going off and it was someone describing a, an internal experience that I thought only I had. I went for an evaluation. I got that diagnosis. I was prescribed uh, stimulant medication. And it was the very first time in my life that I read a chapter of a book and I knew what I had read. And it was uh, after that moment that I knew that I actually really could be successful. From the Understood Podcast Network, this is ADHD AHA, a podcast where people share the moment when it finally clicked that they, or someone they know, has ADHD. My name is Laura Key. I'm the editorial director here at Understood. And as someone who's had my own ADHD AHA moment, I'll be your host. I'm here today with Eric Tivers. Eric is a licensed clinical social worker, and he's also the founder and CEO of ADHD Rewired. Thanks so much for being here today, Eric. It was such a pleasure to be on your podcast, and I'm thrilled to have you here on ADHD AHA. Thanks so much. I usually like to get started, Eric, by asking people right off the bat, when you were officially diagnosed with ADHD and what was happening at that time in your life? Yeah, so I was officially diagnosed at the very start of my sophomore year of college. So I was 19. And what was happening in my life then was my freshman year of undergrad, uh, first semester, I, uh, I got a 2.2 GPA and it had, uh, was at risk of losing a bunch of uh, grant and scholarship money. And so I decided it would probably be wise to... Uh, open up more books than beers the second semester. So I did that and was rewarded with a 1.8 GPA. How did that happen? How did it go down? Was it that when you were getting the 2.2, you were winging it and kind of leaning into your ADHD workarounds and that was working? And then when you were trying hard, it was so hard to focus that it actually was more hurtful than helpful? Is I think right? so. And, you know, I'm sure that my my sleep was awful and my self-care wasn't great. And yeah, I, I really, I didn't know how to study. My approach was just work as hard as possible for as many hours as possible. And that was frustrating. I even remember taking a study skills class and just being really frustrated by like, I'm putting in all this effort and I'm not getting the results. And I really was like working hard. I just didn't really have the, the skills and I wasn't sure why I was doing like so poorly. So my parents were threatening to pull me out of school if I if I didn't get it up that second semester. Um, and obviously, I went the, the wrong way. And that summer, I had a, uh, a um, it's just funny, I had a, a dinner date with this girl who I actually don't even remember who she was. And I wish I could so I can actually thank her because it was because of her that I ended up getting diagnosed because she was sharing with me that she had gotten diagnosed. And it was when she was describing the difficulties she used to have with reading where I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what I experienced. And it was that experience of reading something and within, you know, probably the first paragraph, something that I read triggered a thought. And so now I'm thinking about the other thing while I'm continuing to read, not realizing I'm not processing a single word that I'm actually reading. So I would get to the end of a chapter and be like, I, I read what I was supposed to read. I have no idea what I just read though. So I was able to convince my parents for, for one more shot at school 
that first week back, made an appointment at the University Health Center with a psychiatrist, and he did an evaluation. And I think one of his first questions to me was, wait, so you were not identified as having ADHD? <laughs> um, and to that I said, well, I did have an IEP, but it was not for ADHD. So I uh, got my diagnosis uh, early on in my sophomore year of college, and I was prescribed uh, stimulant medication. First semester, I uh, got a 3.75. I had never gotten grades like that ever. And I remember it was that first time taking ADHD meds. That, and I, it's, it's one of the, those sort of life-changing moments where I remember I was sitting in, this, I got this really awful squeaky leather, fake leather chair from Goodwill for about $2. And I was sitting in, in this chair reading this book. And for the very first time in my life, I could say I, I read this chapter of a book and I actually knew what I had just read. Oh, and wow. I've told the story probably hundreds of times and I still get kind of choked up telling it because it was... To me, I look at life as there was before that moment and then there was after that moment. That is so powerful. I have a million questions following that, but I just want to take a moment and bask in the power of that moment and the power of feeling like yourself. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of these things where it's like you don't notice. It's almost like our messes. We don't notice how much is bothering us until it's cleaned up. And then we're like, oh, this feels nice. I didn't realize that my brain was sort of so busy and foggy sort of at the same time that that moment of when, when the, those meds first kicked in and I started reading, that was like the only thing I was thinking about. It was this weird sensation that I had like, wait, is this how neurotypical brains kind of operate? Because I always sort of knew that I, you know, that I was smart, but like my grades never really showed it because... I had what they call it the FAFA syndrome. That I would get an F and then I would work really hard, pull it up to, you know, an A. So my grades look like F-A-A, F-A-A, you know? So it's like I was feast or famine, right? It was, I was either I've never really... heard that before. FAFA? <laughs> I like that. It's not mine. I don't remember where I heard it from. <laughs> but yeah, so it was almost like that moment in the opening credits of The Simpsons when the clouds clear. Yes. That's kind of like what that moment was like. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, I'm really glad. And we need to, if anyone listening may know who Eric was out to dinner with, if we could send some flowers to her. Seriously, I I think it was on like maybe first episode of my podcast that I shared the story and basically said like, if you happen to be listening to this or you know who this person is, please reach out to me because I want to buy you dinner. <laughs> You've mentioned reading struggles. Mm -hmm. I know you had an IEP growing up. Mm -hmm. That's for folks who don't know, that's an individualized education program, which lays out the supports and services that kids need to have equal access in school. What did your IEP say? Like you weren't diagnosed with ADHD, but they must have seen something. I think right. it was, if I recall, like non-specific learning disability. I think there was a math learning disability in there. But, you know, I go back through, uh, you know, I dig up my old uh, school records. And it's, a, you know, it's a kind of a classic story. It's all right there. Like in all the teacher's comments, like there was enough to diagnose me in every report card I ever got, right? It was like, is disorganized, doesn't apply himself, like is, is capable of doing so much more, is bright, but it's not showing what he knows, doesn't use his time well. So it was, um, sorry, I totally forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to leave that in. You already answered it. 
You did it. I was asking about what was in the IEP. I asked because there's so much comorbidity, co-occurrence between learning disabilities and ADHD. Mm -hmm. And in particular, something you mentioned, struggling with reading comprehension, it could come from either of those, right? Like you're too distracted and you keep you know, losing the thread. And-, mm-hmm. and I think that was probably the bigger part of it. There probably is like some LD stuff, especially with like writing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I always had a hard time of like retelling, like and synthesizing a story or like when I had to read uh, fiction, like keeping track of the characters. Like one of the things I, I had learned to do was I kept like sticky notes in the back of my book. And for every character, I would like have a, a sticky note for that character to add key things to it. Did you feel like you had the support that you needed growing up? I'm interested in this because you had the IEP, so obviously you were getting some supports and services, but it wasn't known, at least to you and to your teachers, that you had ADHD. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, no, I mean, even when you just ask that question, I, I sort of feel like myself getting the goosebumps. And, you know, it's Aww. like, cause, well, and any part of that is because so much of what drives what I do is to help people who have felt misunderstood their whole lives feel understood and understand themselves. And because, you know, to me, that feeling of not understanding self and being misunderstood by others is one of the most painful, lonely feelings that there is. So no, I don't think that I was understood growing up. Like, so the supports I had, you know, were kind of those typical IEP things like extended time, I had a resource room that I went to once a day that just kind of helped with getting myself organized. But, you know, like homework was always a battle. And my diagnosis up until that point was uh, was lazy, right? I mean, that's, oh, yeah. I still remember my mom saying things like, you'd rather stare at a wall for an hour than just do your homework that would take you 10 minutes. So it's, it's working through and understanding those things. It just made all the difference. Self-awareness is a huge sort of both core value and, and I think personal kind of work value, partially because when I, so I switched majors my sophomore year from advertising and marketing to social work. And I remember in one of my intro social work courses, learning about this concept of the Johari's window, which is a, it's a self-awareness framework. So if you imagine a um, two by two grid with four squares and in one box, you have your they call it your, your public self or your arena self, where it's the, the things about you that you are aware of and other people are aware of. And then you have your private self, which is the things that you know about yourself, but other people don't know about you. And then you have your, your blind spots, which is the thing that, that other people see, but you don't see yourself, which is where a lot of the work in coaching and, and therapy happens. And then we have the sort of the unknowns to self or others. And so this is, I learned this concept right around the time I, I got the ADHD diagnosis. So it was a really like kind of, you know, kind of mind blowing framework. It's like, oh, this is why I struggled so much. And so then learning about self-awareness is also understanding like your strengths and how to use them. It's understanding your challenges and how to sort of work around them. And also the importance of self-advocacy. Being successful when you have ADHD absolutely requires fierce self-advocacy skills. After my freshman year of college, I did well in my classes, partially because I think I negotiated just about every assignment I was ever given with my professors to bend it towards something I was a little bit more interested in. Because I had realized if I was interested in the thing, it my brain turns on and I could focus. If I yeah. didn't understand why I ever willing to use this and if it didn't seem relevant to me, it was like reading a foreign language. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, kudos to you. I'm curious. I'm, I really am interested. What's the name of that quadrant, the two by two? Johari's Window, J-O-H-A-R-I. 
what was something in that quadrant of not having self-awareness of that you learned about yourself? Well, I mean, just you- the big one, just having ADHD right. and, and kind of understanding what what that means. But, you know, it's it's been from 19 to I'm 41 now. Like, I've taken the sort of the idea of breaking through a pain, like a window pane, this double meaning, because when we uncover a blind spot, it hurts. It absolutely hurts. It's, it's, it kind of crushes the ego. It's like, here's this thing that like probably other people knew about you, but you didn't see it until now, right? It's the extreme of you've been walking around with a piece of spinach in your teeth and nobody's told you and you looked in the mirror, you're like, oh crap. Now I'm the one with goosebumps when you talk <laughs> about that. Really? And so for me, it was looking at what sort of came out of every time I uncovered a blind spot. And so when I realized, well, the initial sort of like shock of uncovering a blind spot can be painful, the growth and strength that came from that exponentially grew tenfold. So I say I'm always looking for blind spots because the moment we think we have uncovered all of our blind spots is where our ego is setting itself up to get crushed. We all have blind spots. And there's, there's two ways to uncover our blind spots. One is to seek them out, you know, asking for feedback, being sort of mindful and self-aware. The other, which often doesn't come at in a kind regard, is so when you get all this feedback from people, and it's often more critical, and it could be things like getting fired, losing friends, relationships ending, inadvertently pissing someone off, doing something wrong. It's those sort of negative feedback loops that if you're open to growing, you could be open to it. If you're not, you tend to look at those kind of scenarios and point the finger outwards. So I mentioned earlier, I was on Eric's show, ADHD Rewired. He interviewed me. It was an amazing experience. We both approach podcasting in slightly different ways, but I think also in ways that suit our ADHD brain. And the way that you host your show, it was, you were so streamlined. I, we're getting a little bit meta here, but I do like to talk about the process of it all and how it suits your ADHD brain. What do you love about podcasting? How does it suit your brain? I think part of it, it's sort of real time curiosity unfolding. You know, I get to help people tell their story. And even when I do have clinicians, coaches, or, or experts on, I'm still interested in, in their story because I want people to be able to hear themselves in other people because I know how powerful that, that really is. You know, most of your listeners, I'm, I'm guessing probably have had that experience and maybe reading their first book on ADHD and or listening or watching maybe uh, like uh, How to ADHD on, on YouTube and just feeling so seen. And so that feeling of I'm drawing not only my guest into this conversation and really staying curious about their experience, sort of thinking about it through the lens of all of my listeners to me is just something I find really fun. And knowing how much feedback I've gotten from my listening community and just how appreciative they've been of the style that I use. Because, you know, it's I don't try to make it a perfect show. Like we leave in mistakes. We, you know, we joke about it. We, we go on tangents. We sometimes come back to them. It's even in that piece of, I asked a question, the person didn't really respond to the question. Now we're talking about something like that also shows ADHD. And so I'm not trying to be super polished and I don't try to even let people think that I have all my shit together because I don't. 
one of my other coaches, Kat Hoyer, has a phrase that she uh, she uses that I love. And it's, we can be thriving and be a hot mess all at the same time. I love that. I'm very influenced by Brene Brown's work and vulnerability. And it really is. It's like when we can get vulnerable and be okay with areas that we're struggling with and talk about them and not sort of hide in shame, that's where real growth happens. So when we can just acknowledge it, we can share it with someone else who gets it, who isn't judging you, who can you know respond with me too, that we can really actually work on the things we're trying to work on. Yeah. And not just for the listeners, but for ourselves as the host. I mean, I've never been as open about my ADHD as I am on this show, which is a little bit nerve wracking in some ways. Well, I know my first year of podcasting was definitely more nerve wracking than subsequent years. I remember, I think it was the first like month or two I had a, uh, a listener email me. The first part of the email was, thank you so much for putting out what you're doing. The second part was, it takes a lot of balls to share what you're doing. And then I immediately <laughs> had like this like huge vulnerability hangover. And I was like, oh God, what did I share? Is it too much? <laughs> and one of the episodes I talk a lot about on my podcast is uh, episode 47. So I was like, you know, gearing up for uh, my launch for my second season of, of coaching groups. I was studying a lot of these marketing strategies and, and you know, they work. There's, there's a lot of work though. And you know, I was looking ahead of my calendar and I was... Uh, hired to give a uh, presentation to this parent group in the school district. And I knew like the, the timing of this wasn't going to be great because I knew I was going to be in that launch week. But I said yes. And so I'm coming in. I think the presentation was on a Thursday. And I had to have my uh, episode to my editor by Friday. So they had the time to get it out. And so I'm driving to this presentation. It's about 45 minutes away. I had no, no episode in the can, no, nothing even scheduled. I had been going off only a couple hours of sleep, like several nights in a row, because I was like in my office until like, you know, 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning creating content. So I just, I brought my little personal recorder with me in the car and just kind of went stream of consciousness. And I was very close to not releasing it because it's like, whoa, if you can have a an auditory MRI of ADHD, that would be it. Because <laughs> um, it was, like, I don't think I finished a single thought or sentence the entire life. I mean, it was, it was, I was going to have a hot mess at that point. And um, I did release it. And I got so many listeners who emailed me, like, really just truly expressing like real gratitude for me releasing that. I, there was one listener that emailed me that brought me to tears. It was, they were starting to wonder if I actually had ADHD because I seemed so together, right? And ah. that, that I mean, this was like eight years ago and I'm getting choked up talking about that, right? Like, wow, it's so powerful. So, yeah, and so that has really encouraged me to continue doing what I do because I know I would not be doing this for, you know, eight years now if I didn't love what I was doing. Tell me a little bit about your coaching groups. So uh, right now we're in registration for our 30th season of, of coaching groups. I launched these coaching groups. Literally, it was an impulsive idea that I had while recording and that I just left in the podcast. I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking about doing these groups. The origin of that was I was in therapy at the time and my therapist was giving me homework and I would go to my therapy appointment about 20 minutes early. So I had time to actually do the homework that I was supposed to be doing all week. And I'm a therapist <laughs> by training. And I'm like, Okay, this is ridiculous. Like, I need more short-term check-ins because a week seemed like forever away. Like, what would I want? And so what has evolved since then is, so this is a, an online group that meets three times a week on Zoom. 
small groups, 12 people in a group. And then in the groups, we have four person accountability teams and they meet twice a week in addition to the three times a week and check wow. in daily, a couple times a day over like a group chat. So it's really intense. And then we have a, a membership community that supports our members after they finish. Cause we know like one of the guarantees that I, I'll make to people is, you know, after the 10 weeks of coaching, you will still have ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> it's always sad when someone's really new into ADHD and they maybe had this belief that this is going to be the thing that cures them. Right. And I mean, when, I, when I say that <laughs> and that you just see like them get so deflated and I'm just like, oh no, but this is an okay thing. It's like, we're going to learn how to actually better live with ADHD. I remember going to therapy for the first time. Just being like, so how long do I need to be in therapy? And my therapist was like, ah, we'll see. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Because <laughs> right, I never understood the whole like traditional therapy and coaching sort of idea of the best thing you can do is get yourself fired by your clients. But when you're dealing with something that's a lifelong disorder, like I don't think that that makes sense. The reason I only do group and I don't do one-on-one is because I like positive reinforcement because you hear other people talking about the things that maybe only you thought. And when we hear other people say sort of negative things about themselves and we see these people who also seem to have a lot of success going on in their lives, but yet they're expressing this feeling like a fraud and feeling like a failure. And then we realize, oh, I'm kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful, right? To have yeah. these sort of 12 mirrors basically looking back at you, but except now there's no judgment being reflected back. That's beautiful. So when we can be in, I guess, sort of in common with other people who get it and they are doing this stuff, we're able to sort of see ourselves in others in a way that for a lot of people actually allows them to really start the real deep work of acceptance so it's really, it's been an incredible sort of life-changing journey for, for myself and for members of my community. About a year ago, in the middle of COVID, the need for, for more sort of co-working, I launched adultstudyhall.com. It's a virtual co-working community. And so we have sort of a drop-in room that's always open on Zoom. We also have a handful of facilitated sessions, give people a little bit more structure. But it's just basically like, all right, here's what we're going to be doing. What are you going to work on? All right, let's go. And we do it like once a month, cool. I'll do a Pomodoro dance party or it's like a, <laughs> it, we do two work cycles that are 50 uh, minutes long. And then after each 50 minute work cycle, we'll do a 10 minute dance break. I love it. And it's just, I it's fun. It. And it's, it's like one of those things where it's like, it's so simple and yet so helpful. That's what I was just going to say. Such helpful, impactful, but also fun work. Yes. That you're doing, Eric. And so much of it. I don't know how you are making time for all of this, but I'm very impressed Thanks. It's just been such a pleasure to get to speak with you again. I'm so grateful for you coming on my show. Your show is ADHD Rewired. It's great. I recommend mm-hmm. folks check it out and all of the other cool stuff that Eric mentioned during this interview. Thanks, Laura. You've been listening to ADHD AHA from the Understood Podcast Network. If you want to share your own AHA moment, email us at ADHDaha at understood.org. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to learn more about the topics we covered today, check out the show notes for this episode. We include more resources as well as links to anything we mentioned in the episode. Understood is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people who learn and think differently, discover their potential and thrive. We have no affiliation with pharmaceutical companies. Learn more at understood.org slash mission.
ADHD AHA is produced by Jessamine Molly. Say hi, Jessamine. Hi, everyone. Brianna Berry is our production director. Our theme music was written by Justin D. Wright, who also mixes the show. For the Understood Podcast Network, Scott Koshira is our creative director, Seth Melnick is our executive producer, and I'm your host, Laura Key. Thanks so much for listening.